We've seen Riverside grow in several ways, but one that really comes to mind is really with our family. And when we first started coming here, we didn't have kids, but now we do. And our kids are really, this is their family uh, because this is their home. And they have a lot of great friends. They have a lot of uh, things that they're involved with inside the church and outside of the church. And uh, just watching them, our kids grow up and, and their faith and their young ages, as well as their friends and, and the whole Riverside body, and just loving Jesus and, and loving others is just really exciting to watch. One of my favorite parts of uh, being Riverside is our very close-knit uh, core group of friends that we have. Uh, just the, uh, the drop of a hat, I'm gonna be there. If you need something, we're there, and just, we love it. I'd also add that one of my very favorite things is uh, for our kids now as they're getting into their older elementary and, and preteen years is that uh, they've had some wonderful mentors um, and I feel like that only comes from being involved and connected and knowing for them knowing that this is a this is a safe place. Something that we envision Riverside in the next five or ten years is being a very welcoming church and you know, we are a church that's out in the community and we are more than just beyond these walls and we have a lot of growth in the area and we are really tapping into that and it's it's great to see uh, Riverside and the outreach things that we have going on but really it's to be an open church for anybody that comes in these doors, uh, no matter your background, no matter your situation, your status, any of that. We welcome anybody, no matter what, and it's love to see that continue. Well, good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you are here today. What a, man, what a, I don't know about you, but I'm just always so encouraged by our, our times of worship together. Thank you, Zach, uh, Chad, Sarah, Vic, you guys, Chris, for, for how you lead us every week. It's so, such a blessing. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I'm so thankful and so grateful to be a part of this church family. I was thinking this morning as I was just getting ready for today that it was, it was this day seven years ago that our family uh, made the trip from Atlanta to Dallas and we started here. And um, I want you to know, church, just how grateful and thankful I am for you and how humbled I am, um, how grateful I am that every week I get, to, I get to stand here and I get to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with, with you, with all of us, and, and, and share with you what I believe God is speaking to me and what I pray he's speaking through me to all of us as we all seek to grow closer and closer in our walk with Christ. Man, it's just a the honor of my life, and I'm so grateful, so grateful for how God has been, how God is moving in this church. If it's your first time here, your first time in a long time, let me tell you, I hope you feel welcome here, and I hope you know that this church truly is a family, and we're striving to love God and, and love each other well, and I hope you'll stick around enough to find that out for yourself. But today, I'm just wanting you to know my heart, I'm, my heart's full, and I'm so grateful today that we can lean in together. We're, we're going, we're in the middle of this series. We're going through this series called Something Bigger. And, and this is what we believe, that, that not only can God do something bigger, immeasurably more than we could ask, dream, or imagine, but that God wants to do something bigger, something 
infinitely more than we could ask, dream, or imagine in us and through us and for us. And, and, and what we want to do through this series, the series is, it's, it's about giving, but it's more than about just giving. It's about us growing in our faith and, and learning to trust God in every way so that we can make room for God to do maybe something unlike he's ever done in us and through us in, in these days. And a part of that is praying. Part of that's praying for our world. Yeah, part of it's praying for this community. Absolutely. But a big part of it is praying for each other. And I want to ask some friends to come down. They're going to pass around these cards. These are prayer request cards. And maybe you did this last week. We did this last week. If you did, feel free to, to do this again. If you, if you didn't do this last week, I would love to encourage you to do this. Uh, we want to we just gather some prayer requests, some things that are on your heart that we can be praying about for you. And in fact, this weekend, we're going to have a 24-hour prayer vigil. It'll start on Saturday, and it'll go all the way until our worship gathering begins on Sunday morning of this coming weekend. And, and we want to we be praying for each other this weekend through this 24-hour prayer vigil. And so, you know, if there's someone in your life, uh, in your family, a friend, someone who's sick or who's hurting, we absolutely want to be praying for them, for you. But we want to pray for, for, for all kinds of things. If there's someone in your life, a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, who maybe for whatever reason they're far from God and, and you want us to, to join you in praying that God would move in their heart and move in their life, write that down. Let us, let us join you in praying for them. If, if uh, you know, if parents, if you want us to pray for your kids, We'd love, we'd love to pray over your kids that, that they would come to know God and love God and serve God with their lives. And kids, if you want us to pray for your parents, that they would, they would grow in their love for God and as a godly mother, a godly father, we would love to be praying for your moms, for your dads. We want to just spend time this weekend praying over every prayer request that you have. And, and again, if you haven't done this yet, let me encourage you in your inbox. If you're a member, you get the, the weekly email that we send out every Wednesday. There's a link in there where you can click and sign up to be a part of the prayer vigil. We've got a prayer room we're setting up uh, on the first floor on this side of the building. And for 24 hours, think about this, there's gonna be somebody up here praying over, over these prayer requests, over these cards. And if you would like to take uh, some time this Saturday or Sunday morning coming up this weekend and be a part of the prayer vigil, come up here and be praying. I'd love for you to do that. There's a, there's a place you can sign up to do that and let us know you're going you're to be a part of that. We've got someone who's agreed to be a host for every hour. So there's going to be someone up here for 24 hours praying for, for our church. And I would love for you to be a part of that. Go ahead and take some time while I'm talking. Write down a prayer request. At the end of our time together, we'll gather these up. And then these will be available in the prayer room this weekend for our 24-hour prayer vigil. As we begin today, um, I want to I start with these wise words from the great theologian Janis Joplin, who once sang, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches, I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime, no help from my friends. So, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? How many of you know this song? How many of you are now singing this song and it's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day? It's catchy, right? I'm going to be singing it all day long. It gets stuck in your head, right? What's funny about this song is that, uh, as I understand it, um, Janis Joplin drove a Porsche. I'm not sure why she needed a Mercedes-Benz too, but apparently, apparently she did. This song, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a funny little song, right? And it's about this idea that, that there's a pursuit of all these things the world has to offer. And if I could just have a Mercedes-Benz, if I could just have a color TV, if I could just have a night on the town, then, right, then I would be happy. Then I would be content. But I think she knew something that, that all of us in the room know, 
I mean, we forget this sometimes. We spend money like we, like we don't know this is true, but we know this is true, right? That the things this world has to offer, the pursuit of all the things this world has to offer, they don't bring us happiness or joy or contentment or peace. I mean, we've tried it, right? We've, we've bought everything Amazon has to offer and, and, and it still, it doesn't bring us that happiness or that contentment, you know? We've, we've found that the endless pursuit of things is just that, it's endless. That enough is never enough. That, that joy, that happiness, that peace we're looking for, it's not found as much as we would like to think it is. It's not found in the things this world has to offer. Uh, Janis Joplin also said this, and I actually do think this is incredibly wise. She once said, it's the want of something that gives you the blues. It's not what isn't, it's what you wish was that makes unhappiness. Think about that. It's what you wish was that brings unhappiness. So what if there was another way? What if you and I could participate in an alternative economy? What if there was a way to live, to live in relationship with money that was actually life-giving, right? What if there was a way to live a different kind of life? Uh, here's the good news. God's deepest desire for you and for me is to live the most abundant life you could possibly imagine. In fact, Jesus actually said this once in John 10, 10, Jesus, these are his words. He says, I have come that they, may, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. God's deepest desire for you, God's deepest desire for me is for us to have what he calls, what Jesus called the abundant life, life abundantly. But you know, like I know, this has always been the desire of, of God for the people of God. But you know, like I know that there's a difference between knowing the will of God and doing the will of God, right? There's a difference between knowing the will of God and doing the will of God, even when you know that the will of God and the way of God is the way that actually brings life. It's the, it's the right way to do life. It's the life-giving way. And this has always been true, right? There's always been this difference, this disconnect, especially for the people of God, for whatever reason, from knowing his will and actually doing his will. And this is exactly what was happening about 2,500 years ago. Go back in time to around the year 470, 420 BC. And there's a prophet of God by the name of Malachi who was sent to speak to the people of God living in Judah. If you have your Bible, the YouVersion Bible app, would love to invite open up to Malachi chapter three. It's the last book of the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, before you turn the page to the new and get to Matthew. Right there before Matthew is Malachi. We actually have a Malachi in the room this morning. He's not the prophet Malachi, but he may have a word from God. So you may wanna go talk to him after church this morning. Malachi, did you know that you're name means my messenger. That's a, that's a cool thing. You probably knew that. I love that. The name Malachi means my messenger. And so this little book is God's message for his people through the prophet Malachi. This is my message for my people who are returning from Babylonian captivity, Babylonian exile, back to Jerusalem, back to, to, to Judah, <clears throat> to Judah, excuse me. These people had returned from captivity, from exile. And when they first came back, Things were going extraordinarily well for them. Under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra, they had rebuilt the temple. Things were looking good. Things were looking up. But as, as time went along, you know how this works. They began to forget God. They began to forget 
the ways of God and they begin to drift away from the will of God. There's knowing the will of God and there's doing the will of God and they begin to drift away from God. And I want you to hear what God says through his prophet Malachi to his people in Malachi 3. I'll start in verse 7. God says, Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. This has been a cycle throughout Israel's history, right? They've come near God and they've wandered away from God. This has been going on for generations. Now God says, now return to me. Return to me, and here's the promise. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Even though God is, is holding them accountable, even though he is, he is calling out their disobedience and reprimanding them, he's, he's telling them, hey, you've turned away from me, but I've never turned away from you. You've been unfaithful, but I've always remained faithful. And now he's calling them back to himself once again. This is the relentless pursuit of our God, right? Now return to me and I will return to you. But watch this. I think this is, this is important for us to realize they had no idea. They didn't realize that they had even turned away from God. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? They had turned away from God, but they didn't even know it. They had no idea they had drifted away from God. Uh, one of my family's favorite places to go on vacation is the beach. We love going to the beach. It's just a lot of fun. And every time we go to the beach, we always do the same thing, right? You've probably done this too if you go to the beach. Our family, we, we get all the beach towels, the beach toys, the umbrella, the beach chairs. We go down to the beach. We find our place. You know, we set up camp. And then it takes all of five seconds. And me and my son, Will, we get bored. Uh, the girls do whatever they do at the beach. And we go get in the water, right? We're out there throwing football, riding boogie boards, enjoying the ocean. 20 minutes go by, 30 minutes go by. And you know what happens, right? We look up. And I'm looking up to see, hey, where are the girls? Where are my wife? Where's my daughters? And they're nowhere to be found. You know, <laughs> where did they go, right? Now, you know, like I know, that they didn't just pack up everything and walk them out on the beach to mess with us. I wouldn't put it past them, but they didn't do that. What happened? There's a current in the ocean that slowly pulls you away and you don't even realize you're moving, but you look up 20 minutes, 30 minutes later and what's happened? You've drifted down the shoreline. I look up to find my family and they're nowhere to be found. They didn't move. I did. We did. God calls out to his people. He says, turn back to me. They said, we haven't even gone away. And he's like, oh yeah, you have. You've drifted away. There's a current in the culture that was pulling them away. There's a current in our culture that pulls us away. And it moves us from where we want to be to maybe a place we don't want to be, right? It moves us farther from where we, we thought we were. And the truth is you never drift into a good situation. You never drift to where you want to be. They had drifted away from God, just like so many times the culture in our current, the busyness of our lives, it pulls us away from God. And don't miss this. I mean, this, is, this should give us pause. Because it's, a, it's possible to be a part of the people of God, but be far away from God. It's, it's possible to belong to a church, but not be close to God. You can, you can be a part of worship, but be far from his presence. You can go through the motions, but not be moving in step with God. The people ask, how can we return 
when we've never gone away. God answers their question with a question. And here's the question he asked back in verse 8. Should people cheat God? Talk about a strong question. Should people cheat God? Another translation says it this way. Should people rob God? Well, how had they robbed God? How had they cheated God? How had they drifted away from God? Verse 8, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? God responds, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Well, how had they cheated God? How had they robbed God? By what they had withheld from God. They were called, they were commanded to give 10% of their income, but they were bringing subpar sacrifices to God. They were called to give the first 10%, the fruits of their labor, the first fruits of their labor. And they lived in an agricultural economy. So for them, that meant bringing, you know, a lamb without blemish, you know, the first fruits, the best of their crops to God. And those tithes, those offerings, they, they really serve two purposes, to, to provide and maintain the temple and to provide for the priests who served in the temple. But now they've been withholding those things from God. They haven't been doing that. The things they've been bringing to God weren't their best and they weren't, they weren't the 10% that God had commanded them to bring. And so now God accuses them of cheating him, of robbing him because they were withholding from him. Their disobedience, their decision to withhold their tithes and their offerings, it brought them under a curse. Think about that. And you may wonder, why in the world would God curse? Would God curse the very people he claimed to love? Why would God do that? And the answer to that question is, I mean, it's simple on the one hand, but it's profound on the other, right? The reason is because he loves them so much. Because he loves them so much, he calls out their disobedience. He allows them to suffer the consequences of their choices all because he loved them. Even though they had turned away from him, he had not turned away from them. Even though they had been unfaithful, he had, he had remained faithful. So the most loving thing that God could do is hold them accountable and allow them to live up under the consequences of their decision to turn away from him. All the while calling them back into relationship, all the while calling them back into a right way of living. Parents, it's the same thing you do with your sons and your daughters. Grandparents, it's the same thing you do with your grandkids, right? You, you, you want to hold them accountable, right? For the choices they make, all the while loving them and calling them back into loving relationship, calling them back into a right way of living. And our Father in heaven, he does the same thing with us. And he did the same thing with them. And he says in verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouses so there will be enough food in my temple. And then he says this, watch this. If you do, if you do this, if you do, if you bring the 10%, if you bring the best of, of what you have, if you bring the first fruits of what you have, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out such a blessing, a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. And then he says this, try me, put me to the test. Your crops will be what? 
abundant. There's that word. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then all the nations will call you what? Blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God says, put me to the test. Try me and see what happens. Bring your tithes and offerings. Stop withholding from me. Do the minimum of what I've commanded you to do. Just bring the 10% I've commanded you and watch as I open the windows of heaven and pour out every blessing on you. I'll tell you what's going to happen. God says, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to bless you in such an enormous way. It's going to blow your mind because I am the God of abundance. And I'm ready to open the windows of heaven and empty heaven of every resource to bless you. If you do the minimum, watch me bless you with the maximum. And I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen. Here we are 2,500 some odd years later, right? If we took God at his word and if we put him to the test, I think God wants us to. I think that invitation still stands. And this is why I believe that because God knows there's a difference between knowing the will of God and experiencing the will of God. And God knows the only way that you and I are gonna experience heart change is if we experience his abundant life that he promises. And the way to do that is to put him to the test and let him prove himself faithful over and over again. We live, we live in a land of abundance, yet we give as if we live in a land of scarcity. God invites us, doesn't he, to put him to the test. And when we do, as we do, what God gets to do is prove himself faithful over and over and over again because our God really is a God of abundance. And the, the honest truth of the matter is giving is just one of the most proven and practical and tangible ways we can put God to the test and step out in faith and trust God to do what only God can do. So there's this crazy story, a true story, by the way. I'm not making this one up. Not that I make up stories, but this, one, this one's true. Uh, there's this guy, right, uh, living in Dade County, Florida. And he decides he wants to sue his church. So he takes his church to court, and I want you to read, uh, I want to read to you what he, what he says in his court suit. He says, I delivered $800 of my savings to the church in response to the pastor's promise that blessings and benefits and rewards would come to the person who did tithe 10% of his wealth. I did not and have not received these benefits. <laughs> I don't know what came of that lawsuit. I would love to know the rest of the story, right? Like what happened next? Uh, this guy, I mean, whoever he is, he did what he thought was right, right? He gave 10%, he gave a tithe of his income, but he had the wrong motivation, right? We, we don't give to get anything from God. If you're giving, hoping to get a Mercedes Benz back, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, it's probably not gonna work out that way, not in God's economy. I wish it did sometimes, but the truth is it doesn't. But when we give with open hands and open hearts, in obedience, in faith, when we step out and we just trust God with what we have, I'll tell you this, in God's economy, 
blessing always follows. And it happens different for different people in different ways, but it always happens. The blessings of God always find you. When you live your life in obedience to God with open hands and open hearts, ready to give and to live generously. And that's because there's a difference between knowing the will of God and experiencing the abundant life that God offers. And God wants you to put him to the test because he wants you to experience this life that he offers. And sometimes we say, well, if you just give back a portion of what God has given you, but you understand, right? You understand that, that, that when you try to give back what you have, you really can't even do that because everything you have is a gift from God. God has given you a portion of what he has, right? Everything you have comes from God. Everything you have belongs to God. Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father in heaven. Everything we have is from God. We're called to be stewards. We're called to realize that every dollar, everything, every asset, every worldly possession, it's all a gift. And when you live life from that perspective, it's easier, isn't it, to live with open hands. And when you give from that perspective, you realize, oh, now I'm participating in the economy of God, where what Jesus said is actually true. It's, it's better to give than it is to receive. And I wonder what would happen if you and I did this, if we just put God to the test. Hey, I wanna let you know, there's no command in the New Testament for followers of Jesus to give 10%. Whatever you want to give, that's between you and God. For the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have kind of used that, that guideline as a guiding principle for their giving. And what Christians have found for two millennia is that you truly can't outgive God and that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. Breaking news, God is better at math than you are, okay? And when you put God to the test and when you give, whatever you give, what you find is that the abundant life is rooted in the generous life. Think about that. The abundant life that Jesus offers is rooted in living life with open hands and open hearts. And I wanna just encourage you to put God to the test because I believe that invitation is still open. Whatever you decide to give to church, whatever you decide to give to this campaign, that's, that's completely between you and God. I would challenge you to think about, hey, what if I gave 1% more? I would challenge you to think about if I've never tithed, what would happen if I tried to tithe for one month or two months or six months? Put God to the test and just see what happens. I would, I would suggest you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. But can I tell you a secret? This, this campaign, this whole series about giving, it's not even really about giving. Whether we raise $5 or $500 or $500,000 or $5 million, it's not even the point. The point is for you and I to step out in faith and trust God and to live our lives with open hands and open hearts, living generously and sacrificially so that we can experience the life that Jesus wants you to experience, the abundant life that he came to offer. That's the goal. That's the hope. And I'll tell you what gets me excited. I get excited about what that can mean for me and my family. I get excited about what that can mean for you individually and for your family. But I get really excited about what would happen if everybody in this church leaned in together, right? 
What would happen? That's why I want to encourage everyone to do something. You may not be able to do a lot. Maybe you can do a lot. Maybe you can only do a little. But if we all participated together in this in some way, what could happen in this church? What would happen in this church if our faith grew as we leaned in together and we saw with our own eyes God do infinitely more than we could ask, dream, or imagine? Church, if you would, let's stand. I'm going to ask uh, our friends to gather these prayer request cards. If you have those, just pass them to the end of your row and they'll gather those. And again, let me encourage you to to sign up and to come and to pray with us this weekend as we spend 24 hours in prayer. Whether you drive a Mercedes Benz or you drive an old Ford truck like me, I hope you'll find, I hope you'll find contentment in what you have. And I hope you'll find that this is true that the abundant life that God offers us is on the other side of our decision to live a generous life. And if you need evidence of this, if you need to see this in action, if you need to see where this is true, let me take you back just real quick before we close to the cross. May we not forget the cross. It was at the cross that Jesus gave his life generously and sacrificially for you and for me. And what did Jesus discover? What did he find on the other side of the cross? Jesus found abundant life. Can I give you another name for abundant life? It's called resurrection life. And God wants that same life for you and me. He wants you and I to experience the abundant life, the resurrection life that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. That happens when like Jesus, we live generously and sacrificially. Because on the other side of that, on the other side of that is the abundant life that God offers to all of us. So may we be like trees planted beside the river, bearing fruit every season. May our leaves never wither. May we prosper in all we do. All glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, immeasurably more, something bigger than we could ask, dream, think, or imagine. All glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through every generation, forever and ever, world without end. And the church said, amen.